Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. episode number 101 and i guess i'm now having to do my own introductions i can't even rely on richard to bring us all into the world of linux in the ham shack and take us to a place where most of the time i'm not sure we all really want to go but anyway i'm russ k5tux and for at least this episode and maybe some others in the foreseeable future i'm going to be the only host of this program I hope that doesn't lose us too many listeners or anything like that. I've been assured by most of the people out there that I've heard from that the fact that Richard is off living his life in his own way and not being a part of the show for at least a little while is not going to affect our overall listenership. So with that in mind, I have brought on a uh, sort of guest co-host for the evening. Now, astute listeners of the last program will know that Harrison immediately tried to snake uh, Richard's job out from under him after his announcement. Hey, of, now. What do you mean, hey, now? That's exactly what happened. Off, I was putting out an offer. You, you had the entire choice to accept or deny it. That's true, and I thought we denied it, and yet here you are. Well, but, you, you appear to have accepted it a little later on. Well, that's true. I, I was in a bind. There was no one else I could call upon. And you seem to want to do it, so here you are. And I had a topic, too. Yes, you have a topic. You actually will contribute to the show tonight, and hopefully in other ways than just your one topic, because like I said in the chat room earlier, my my first topic is a little bit philosophical, so hopefully you'll have a little input onto that as well. I'm, I'm not sure how philosophical you, you are about the open source and uh, the free software world, but I guess we'll find out. I guess we shall. All right, so uh, for those who don't recognize the voice, this is Harrison, VE2HKW, who is going to be filling a very, very small part of Richard's shoes for tonight. And uh, Tell me about it. <laughs> and I'm going to have to try and fill both mine and the rest of that space, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to do it, but I do have his sound clips here, uh, So, and I found a few more from the last episode, so I can throw one in here. Only a few? I do have... Um, it looks like I have about 20 of them, so we won't be completely without Richard. Let me go ahead and throw one of these in here. Let me uh, go ahead and unmute the uh, the soundboard first. You know, I'm having all kinds of problems. See what happens? You lose your co-host, and your brain goes right out the window with it. Ickalickalicious. Ah, uh, the sound of Richard. I just kind of gather from what he said to me sort of offline that 
things are, are very busy in his world and he really would love to be here. He just doesn't have the time for it. So rather than dwell on the fact that he's not here, um, trying to think if I have any announcements to announce. I think the, after the one last week, I'm not sure that I really feel like announcing anything anymore. <laughs> make it, make a positive announcement. And also, I I remember back in previous episodes, you had something like between the peaks and the fine hills and uh, Tornado Alley and stuff like that. And I came up with my own kind of uh, me being in the shadow of Kavi Hill, being the kind of the local mountain slash hill around here and being in the shadow, especially uh, because the uh, D-Star coverage from one of the repeaters up there is kind of spotty in Hemingford. So I'm uh, definitely in the shadow, so to speak. Okay, well, why don't you refine that into something, and maybe next time we'll uh, we'll have you do a little intro of your own. How's that? All right, I, I had it all refined in my head, but it didn't that <laughs> yeah, way. D- didn't make it from the frontal lobe out through the tongue and past the lips. That's okay; it happens. All right, so I'll try better next time. I don't really have an announcement. There's a few ham fests coming up. You know, we have more episodes coming up. All of the stuff you can find at lhspodcast.info. So you really don't need to hear it from me. Instead, I'm going to take this opportunity to go directly into my first topic. And as I said, this is a, this is a sort of Linuxy topic, but it's also a philosophical topic. And I do hope the people who are in the chat room are in fact listening to the show and will have some feedback on this. So I'm not just talking to myself. I do feel this issue is kind of important and it came up. It came up late last week when I was listening to other podcasts and lots of them were talking about Linux distributions. They were discussing the ones that were their favorites. And I think this actually came out of episode 200 of Going Linux. I think that's the one I was listening to when this really sort of struck me. They, you know, were saying my favorite Linux distribution is Linux Mint. My favorite distribution is Debian. And I fall into that same sort of trap when I say, I use a Linux distribution. Which one do you use? Et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's common parlance and everybody sort of accepts it as just the way you say it. And I kind of believe that everyone understands what you're saying when you say it. You're talking about the ubiquity of the system that you use on your computer, which includes Linux and lots of other things. All the utilities that you use the programs that you get from third parties, the drivers that are written by somebody else, um, and, and all of that, um, your desktop environment, your window managers, the underlying X layer, and all of that stuff is combined together to be what we call or commonly refer to as the Linux distribution. Now I've, I've heard a few interviews lately. Of course, uh, Richard Stallman is always out there interviewing with anybody he can pin down to sort of get his points across. And most of the time when I hear him speak, I sort of curl up in a little ball and cringe because he is so adamant and so fanatical about the things that he believes. He kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I think about the thing that I'm going to broach on here. He is absolutely correct. And I think if we're dismissive of this, then we're totally in the wrong. Now, what is that thing? That thing is, what is in a name? Now, that phrase has been used a lot, what's in a name? And to me, 
when I think about what's in a name, I think the answer is everything is in a name. And I think everything is in a name in a very literal way. In other words, if someone comes up to you and you ask the question, what's your favorite Linux distribution? And your reply is Slackware, then Slackware embodies the entirety of what Slackware is. In other words, it touches a place in the listener's brain and evokes everything that that person knows about Slackware. It evokes the entirety of their experience about the thing that is Slackware, whether that includes nothing because they don't know what Slackware is or everything they've ever learned about it, including what kernel it runs, what its default applications are, how to install it, who wrote it, who works on it, whether they get paid or not, and, and everything there is about that Linux distribution. So what's wrong with calling it a Linux distribution? Well, the problem is it's not a Linux distribution. It's a GNU Linux distribution. And more realistically, it's a GNU third-party app Linux distribution with a desktop environment encompassing a window manager, file manager, utilities of all kinds, whether GNU or not. An application base? What's that? And an application base as well? Yeah, well, GNU, GNU gener is generalized as an application base. It encompasses all, ah, okay. all applications which are GNU, but not all applications are GNU. So, I mean, there, there are lots of them besides. So, uh -huh. so at the very least, calling them, calling them a GNU Linux, uh, distribution is more correct. And Richard Stallman tends to harp on this a lot. And I tend to, tended to blow him off a lot when he used to say it. The only problem is the more I think about it, the more I think he's right. Because when you look at what compensation a developer gets for his part of any Linux project, usually that compensation is self-satisfaction. That, and that's pretty much it. You might get recognition from the community at large because you've made a particularly good project and lots of people use it. And in very rare instances, you might get money, but it's, it's not very likely. So if what you get out of the project that you contribute so much of your time and energy to is self-satisfaction and maybe community recognition, then the recognition part of that is very important. And if you call a monolithic piece of lots of software an aggregate, like a Linux distribution, then you are removing the name from the individual contributors and you are taking away from them the one thing that they get from being that contributor. So with that in mind, I don't know that I have an answer to the question, if there even is a question. I don't know if I have a solution. I don't know what we should call a Linux distribution other than a Linux distribution, but I think in calling it what we call it, we are diminishing the contribution of so many other people. And like I said, where I, where I tend to mostly disagree with RMS, I, I wholeheartedly agree with him here. And I think the, what, what something is called, the recognition of what something is called, the thing that it evokes in the brain is the most important part of it and therefore 
should be acknowledged whenever possible. To diminish it by calling it something it isn't is is really disrespectful. So I'd like to encourage people to maybe brainstorm on this and come up with a solution, a better way to reference the collective that includes a Linux kernel, GNU apps, third-party apps, and a desktop environment, and we should then call it that so that everybody is included. So that's my little bit of Philosophy 101 for the beginning of this show, Philosophy 101 for Episode 101. And I'm hoping that the people in the chat room were actually listening and are willing to uh, throw out a question or two or whatever. And Harrison, if you have something to add to this, by all means, now is the time. Just wondering, do you mind if I kind of argue a opposite position, so to speak? Uh, not at all. If you want to, if you want to produce counterpoint to that argument, absolutely. Well, what what you were mentioning about applications and layering applications, and I know it doesn't necessarily apply so much. And I'm uh, just uh, alert here. I am going to use Windows as an example, but then again, I am arguing a counterpoint. When you think about it, Windows has a lot of applications that you can install, and it's just that Linux generally has a package manager, so all the applications that you associate with Linux are generally in most of the main package managers. And my counterpoint is is that if you have a a large set of or a lo- lot of software that's from one company, you don't necessarily call it Adobe Windows or oh, I can't think of any other. I haven't used Windows in so long with any major <laughs> mainstream software, but no. Like, it, it, I'm not sure if this counterpoint is completely valid, but for for this counterpoint, I'm just referring to that um, the applications don't always determine the base, but then again, in Linux, the GNU is also part of the base, which makes things just that little bit more complicated, like your GCC, which is a compiler. Like, there are tools that are GNU-branded, so this is one of those issues that divides the Linux community. In a way, I think why peop- most people call it um, Linux as opposed to GNU Linux or GNU slash Linux or dash Linux or is it's in a way easier to say like you don't call it Microsoft Windows you call it Windows because that's what it is in a sense so it again <laughs> I kind of hate comparing Linux to Windows in this sense but when when you have GNU Linux it's it's just kind of easier to say in the same sense that saying oscilloscope while it is kind of long, but it's still fairly easy to say, most people just say scope. Um, and most people in, with some electrical background will recognize that it's a scope or an oscilloscope. Same as rig in a sense as opposed to radio. Uh, it, it's also a matter of easiness of saying it. Um, the new Linux doesn't exactly, well, it kind of does, but it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Um, but Linux. Like, it's just short. It's a uh, single syllable. And I suppose Windows, that's two syllables. But I better stop here. I'm kind of getting nitpicky. Well, that's okay. But let and me... Also, um, we also have comments in the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to go through those, um, as a matter of fact, because um, I, I, I kind of want to say what's going on in the chat room and then kind of go back to my original thoughts. S. Newland has uh, some good points. He says, there's no way you can acknowledge everyone involved in the software that's on a distribution. I understand that. And if you're developing open source software, people are for recognition, you're going to be disappointed. Well, what I said was originally that the top of the list or the top reason that you develop open source software is for self-satisfaction. That's number one. 
Number two is for recognition, and that's only usually obtained if you write a particularly good piece of software. Now, third down from that would be money, which is a rare thing. And then, of course, uh, KD8SCG in the chat room says normally people don't write software for chicks. And I guess that would be what happens after you get the money, you could get chicks. I, I think the self-satisfaction comes first, but my point is, is a little bit simpler than trying to acknowledge everyone who ever wrote a piece of software that you use on your system. It comes down to the fact that calling something Linux, specifically Linux, as a distribution is deliberately excluding GNU, which is actually a very large contributor to any Linux project. Linux is simply the kernel. It's the thing that boots your system up. If you were running a Linux distribution, it wouldn't do a hell of a lot. You can't do anything in our particular Linux slash GNU model without the applications and the utilities that come along with it. Windows is a kind of a different story because it's, it's more atomic. Everything comes together. Windows packages, it's UI, it's kernel and it's utilities all as one thing called Windows. And it's all developed by a bunch of people who work for Microsoft. Therefore, it's easier to call it Windows because you're not dismissing the contribution of the developers because you know when you hear Windows that it's all encompassing. All, you know that Microsoft is a big company and lots of people do the development. But when you call a distribution of GNU Linux just Linux, you are deliberately, well, maybe not deliberately, but you are excluding probably the majority of the actual software contribution from the community. I think that's wrong. I think it's important to call it GNU Linux. It's probably important to call it something else. Call it a term, maybe something made up, like GNU-Lux or something, which encompasses the sort of atomic idea that Windows does. It encompasses the desktop environment, the third-party apps, the GNU developers, and the Linux kernel. And when you say that, when you associate that term in your brain, you know it means all of those things. And maybe that's what Linux means now to people, but, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I, and I, and I see on this point, and maybe the only one where RMS is coming from. So that's sort of where I am on that. I think the evocation of the name is important. And I think anyone who understands anything at all about how GNU Linux came to be should make an effort to say GNU Linux, even though Linux is simpler. You shouldn't, shouldn't avoid it for simplicity's sake. So with that said, any last comments before I roll some music and we move on to the next segment? Well, um, what I'd like to say just quickly here, or ask rather, um, would GNU Linux be an all-encompassing word or would it be just for the GNU utilities? Yeah, see, that's the thing. I, I honestly think GNU Linux is not the answer because I don't think it's encompassing enough. I don't think GNU Linux encompasses the rest of the developers who do the contribution. I, that's why I think there has to be a new term. I think GNU Linux is better, but not perfect. And that being said, I, most people will probably just ignore me and say Linux distribution for here, ever, and after, and I can go piss up a rope. I think the general consensus is just Linux, as far as I can see. Well, considering we only really have one person commenting directly on the topic, <laughs> I'm not going to consider that a representative <laughs> sample. Uh, yeah, you have a point there. Gentube oh. Galigix 
Gilligics, Gilligics. You're gonna have to pronounce that one I, for me. I think I would think it would be would would it be Gilla Gililic? No, Gilligix. Well, no, no. The Gen two, the G in Gen two is soft, so so it's Gen two Gilligix. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like something um, IBM invented. <laughs> oh no! Is it? Um, no, it all depends where you place the accent, though. If you put put a few at the beginning or the middle or the end, where the yeah. Sorry, I'm getting into English here. I should probably <laughs> stay away from that subject right now. <laughs> yeah, because you're in Canada. You don't speak English. You speak Canadian. Mm, good point. Oh, um, how does Gnorman feel about this uh, topic? I don't know. I can't speak for Gnorman. I think uh, I think Richard put him back in his box. Oh. All right. Well, we well, can always ask him here in the channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, probably good luck getting a response. Him. Anyway, uh, why don't you go ahead and mute yourself while I play some music, and uh, if, if no one else has anything to comment, this may come back as comments later on, which will be great. But in the meantime, thanks everybody for at least spending about 20 minutes of your time listening to me rant about this particularly philosophical and probably retarded issue. But anyway, it's something I thought about. It, it made me want to say GNU Linux personally, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. You all can do whatever you want. So, let me see. I've got some music. I kind of cheaped out on this one. I'm going to play some Jonathan Colton, just because Colton's awesome, and I didn't want to go out and find new music. This first track is called Fraud. We'll be back on the other side with some more Linux in the Ham Shack. Right 
now it's disappointing because Richard always hates when the the songs end abruptly, and that one faded out. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> oh, well. See, that's what he gets for not being here. I suppose. Now, just wondering, did you uh, find me in a gutter by any chance? Well, that's what I told the people in the chat room. They don't have to know the truth. Oh, all right. I'll keep it to myself then. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Let's see. have to change... Oh, look, you've contributed stuff in the in the Etherpad. How about that? Oh, yeah, I can contribute stuff. Well, let me go ahead and talk about this application I found a little bit earlier today, and uh, then we can talk about your topic for the evening. Let's All see. Right. I'm going to go back up to the top of my list now because I'm lost. Okay, there we go. While I was looking around today at something entirely different, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, I know what it was. I was looking at hamqth.com which is that OK2CQR OK alternative database for QRZ lookup kind of thing. I've talked about this on the show in the past because uh, on our LHS podcast QRZ channel, yeah, QRZ channel. Ooh, let me get my brain back in gear. Okay, on the LHS podcast IRC channel, there is a bot, and that bot is called Gnorman, and uh, we're all introduced to Gnorman at uh, some point in the past. And what I did was I programmed some code for Gnorman that uses the HamQTH API to do call sign lookups while you're in the chat room uh, chatting away with other LHS aficionados. So if you're in there someday, you can type dot qrz space and a call sign and gnorman will go out and query the hamq8 hamqth database and return all the information to you in irc about that call sign so and uh i did that using a little bit of python code and so there you go that's uh pretty much been my foray into python so far I got some information from HamQTH that said, you know, let's go check out the new features over at HamQTH. And while I was doing that, there's a list over there of some of the applications that use the HamQTH API as a backend for call sign lookups. And one of those is a logger written by a German gentleman uh, by the call sign of Delta Lima One Hotel Bravo Delta DL1 HBD. He's written an application called QtLog. That's Q-T-L-O-G, QtLog. So obviously this is an application written using the Qt toolkit, and it's cross-platform because Qt is cross-platform. There is a pretty nice user interface. Of course, it's based on Qt, so it molds to your desktop environment pretty nicely. The only real problem that I found with it, well, okay, there were two major problems that I found with it. The first was I couldn't get it to install. Which That's one, a biggie. Yeah. When it comes to applications, that tends to be a large problem. But I'm pretty sure the reason I can't get it to install is because it's looking for a local MySQL server. In other words, you have to be running MySQL server on whatever machine you're trying to install QtLog on, or it won't install. It doesn't seem to have the ability, uh, at least in the current installer, to use a remote My MySQL server, one that's different from the uh, the Qt log machine. And that would be the situation that I'm in. Now, the other problem is 75% of the 
application itself and the documentation are in German. Now, that's not a problem if you're German or you know German, and it's not really a problem for the English speakers because if you manage to get the Qt log application actually installed, there's enough English on the UI to make it pretty easy to navigate and use. Uh, based on the screenshots, I see stuff is either half German and half English or English or English and German both. So with a little bit of playing around with this, you could get used to it and probably deal with it pretty easily. And it turns out that a lot of the things that are used, a lot of the terminology that's used in ham radio doesn't actually translate into German. So it's all in English. Uh, that, that makes things easier as well. Now I've gone down through the screenshot lists and it's a pretty slick looking application. Uh, like I said, it is cross platform. If you have a nice desktop environment set up, especially if you're using something like, uh, enlightenment or one of the, or like KDE or one of the fancier desktops. And of course, KDE is built on Qt as well. Then you'll have a fairly, you know, round cornered, glossy looking, uh, sheen on your Qt log, which is pretty nice. Uh, it has all of the features you'd want, easy logging, award status tracking, uh, export to, you know, the various award or logging formats. Uh, for doing quick import and export into other applications. It will do reports for you, like for QSLs you haven't received, for uh, like IOTA and SOTA status. Uh, it has macro capability. It will tabulate all of your contacts on certain bands and lots more features that there are either no documentation for, no screenshots for, or documentation only in German for. Now you can find this application if you want to give it a shot, if you want to test your metal and see if you can get this thing working on your system at, see now I've switched away from the etherpad. Here we go. At dl1hbd.de. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to Google Translate for helping me get most of that website into English to help me out, uh, at least as far as I got. And if you, if you run that, um, website through Google Translate, uh, you can navigate the entire site having it 95% translated into mostly readable English. So that works pretty well. Now that's where spelling errors really cause problems. Yeah, and also terminology that doesn't translate tends to cause a problem as well. But um, I noticed that Google Translate had, did a pretty good job with the site as a whole. So that, that worked out pretty well for me. And I was actually able to read most of it, even in the German, even though I don't really know German. Enough of the words are similar that I, I kind of was able to muddle through. Anyway, uh, if you if you want a challenge and ultimately want a uh, fairly good-looking logging application, uh, give Log a try. And you can do that on Windows and Mac OS and whatever system you have that, that uh, has a cute environment. Linux, of course, as well. So uh, anything you want to contribute on that, or do we want to move into your topic? Well, um, uh, two things. First of all, on most Debian-based systems, uh, I do believe the command is sudo apt. Well, on Linux, it's just apt, but I'll be proper. sudo apt-get install mysql-server should solve half of the problem. 
And I always thought it was just QT. Like, I, I see it as QT log as opposed to cute log or cute log. I, I've, I've always seen it as two letters as opposed to um, a word. Okay, well, without delving back into my original philosophical topic from the beginning of oh, the show, okay. oh. <laughs> um, <there are> lots <laughs> and also you were mentioning QRZ, and uh, that's the Canadian way of saying it. Oh, QRZ, yes. Um, when I say QRZ, I mean I pretty much say QRZ just because everyone says it that way. Even even though in the United States most of the time we say Z for Z, for some reason QRZ when you're saying it as a ham radio term, pretty much always comes out that way. Ah, right. Not sure why, it just does. You, you mentioned doing the uh, install of the MySQL server. Actually, uh, on the website for uh, QtLog, there is a thing down at the bottom where it says if you don't have MySQL server installed on your machine, this is how you do it. There, There are instructions on installing MySQL server. My problem with it is I have a machine that I run that's dedicated to MySQL and it runs MariaDB and I want all of my databases on that machine, not the one locally. I don't want to have lots of MySQL instances running. So uh, for, for me, this isn't working too well, but for other people, it shouldn't be an issue. And now we're going to go into Harrison's topic. And this is an interesting topic, actually, and I'm curious to hear what he has to say about it because people who do any kind of homebrewing or maintenance of their ham radio or other electronic equipment need to have testing devices, uh, ways to find out if their electronic circuitry is actually working properly. And one of the best ways to do that is with an oscope or an oscilloscope, or as he says, a scope, which you can use to see how electricity is passing through a circuit. You can also use it for audio uh, and any number of other kinds of uh, radio frequency energy. So we're going to let Harrison wow us with his knowledge of oscilloscopes. Well, actually, as, or to add to that, rather, um, oscilloscopes also just look cool because they have a bunch of knobs on them and they have this weird-looking display. They're not weird-looking, but cool-looking display. So they're just cool to have around. Um, and oscilloscopes stem from the oscillograph, which is a, was an early camera for taking pictures of alternating current waveforms, but that's an entire other topic. But that's kind of the extremely brief history of where an oscilloscope uh, uh, came from. They're, they're essentially, uh, on the older analog ones, a cathode ray tube, similar to what you have in a analog TV. And you have, the, there's a beam that sweeps across the display in a straight line. Now, if you apply a voltage to that beam, the beam will jump up use, because the, um, there's a, a thing that'll adjust, adjust the height of the beam uh, depending on what voltage is fed in. Now, if you input an alternating current, or al it's an alternating current, but it's uh, the voltage that goes up and down, um, the beam will follow that trace, and thus it will display it on the oscilloscope screen. So that's the up and down portion of it. The side to side portion of it is the uh, time control. So for uh, also the display of an oscilloscope is divided up into little squares um, with uh, centers uh, both horizontal and vertical marked out on the display. And um, you, there's a one, as I mentioned, one knob that controls the voltage. So when it's set to say one volt 
per division. It means that every time the line goes up one division from whatever line or technical name is radical you have it set at, that's an increase in one volt. So if it goes up two, then that's two volts. And you can set it multiple different things so you can measure stuff like 0.1 volt or mine goes up here to 20 volts a division. So with four divisions, I can measure 80 volts fairly easily. Um, and then you have the time base. So that's how much time it takes for the beam to pass one division. So I currently have mine turned on here and it's set to 0.2 seconds per division. So it takes, um, so it would be one-fifth of a second for the beam to pass one square, or one division, rather. Uh, you can turn that all the way up on mine to 0.5 microseconds, so you can measure a fairly high-frequency uh, high signal, as well as a fairly low-frequency signal. But um, it, although oscilloscopes are not the most accurate at determin determining frequency, if it's all you have, you can adjust the scope so it'll display your alternating current waveform and you would then adjust it so you get a, a fair number of a waveforms in the picture or in the screen. Say you have three full oscillations of the wave displayed on your screen and you also want them to dis be displayed as big as they can in height so that the lines come through the center rather straight so you, it makes it just easier to count. Um, so you count how many divisions it is from one part of the wave to the, the same point in the next part of the cycle. So if you start where it comes above zero, so it goes above zero, peaks and then goes back below zero, peaks negatively and then comes back up to zero, the place where you started and where it comes back up to zero are this, that's one cycle. So you just count the divisions between cycles and uh, then you multiply that by your time base. So if you were to have a time base of uh, say 10 microseconds and your signal takes up 5 squares, that's 50 microseconds, and then you take that, so 50 microseconds, you convert 50 microseconds to seconds and then you put that under 1, so it's basically 1 divided by whatever the time is, and then that gives you your frequency in hertz. So that's one way to determine frequency with a scope, and also on oscilloscopes, the waveform will whiz past the screen very quickly, and it'll just draw it, and the waveform will essentially walk across the screen, so it just basically takes up the entire screen and doesn't display any useful information. So that's where your trigger control comes in. It's usually a knob marked trigger or something similar. And you turn that so that you get a still image of the waveform on the display as opposed to one that's racing by at 100 miles an hour. Also, if there's a mode called XY mode, which means that on a dual channel oscilloscope, if you stick it in XY mode, one input will push the beam up and down and the other input would push the beam left and right. So if you have the things just, if you have two signals that are 90 degrees out of phase, you can draw a circle on the oscilloscope. Uh, you can also use this feature, uh, and if you hook it up to a, um, using a transformer and the appropriate resistor, you can create a component tester that, let's say you connect the 
component tester to a diode, it'll show you at what voltage the diode turns on, and if the, the diode is is a Zener diode or not, because a Zener diode will have, when the voltage goes negative, um, will show current flow. And just, just the way it's designed, it'll show you when stuff turns on, so you can see if a transistor is good or not. Uh, you can also hook it up to a capacitor. So because a capacitor is just the way it, just the way it is, it causes a volt, voltage, or, now this is where I can't remember, an inductor, the voltage, leads to current, and the capacitor current leads to voltage. Um, Alright, I might have that backwards, so you can send me an email at VE2HKW if I have that wrong. At least we're consistent in our not having proper information on this show. I read it in a book, and I can't remember it right off the top of my head right now. But I do know one is the opposite of the other. One lags, one leads, and that's how you get a tuned circuit. Well, before you go exploding in anyone else's head, you know at whatever hour they happen to be listening to this uh can you can you speak to like some practical <laughs> practical applications for using this oscilloscope rather than going into the math of all the circuitry and all the components because i'm not sure that anyone's really that far into it um all right now you have to hook it up right you can't just connect your transmitter directly into the oscilloscope um because that would just blow things up and it wouldn't look too good well why would but, you want to hook your uh, transmitter up to an oscilloscope in the first place well, the reason why, well, you want to couple it in a sense, but not directly, uh, you can see the waveform of your transmitter, and you can also detect, um, in a sense, overmodulation, or if you are getting any modulation from a transmitter. Uh, you can also... See, now there's um, a practical example. Why don't you just go with that? So if I have a transmitter, and I have an oscilloscope, and my transmitter is not being heard by anybody, and I want to find out, if I'm actually putting out any RF power at all, how would I do that? That also requires a little, a little coupling circuit. It's, um, I've, I've seen it in use on YouTube. You can also, all right, forget the coupling circuit right now. You can also use an antenna tuner. Now you can connect the radio up so that it uh, connects into the uh, dummy load, and then you can connect the oscilloscope up to another channel in the antenna tuner and then the RF that the little bit of RF that's being radiated by the dummy load will couple into the oscilloscope's lead and then you can see if you have any RF energy being emitted by your radio and also just as a note the majority of my knowledge about oscilloscopes either comes from using them myself or from uh, a fellow on YouTube who who's an electrical engineer, so I'm pretty sure he knows what he's talking about when he's using oscilloscopes. So but, was he uh, uh, giving sort of lessons on how to use oscilloscopes via YouTube? Yes. Uh, he details um, some specific applications on how to use oscilloscopes. He also does generally how, how to use an oscilloscope uh, uh, properly. And the fella is W2AEW, Whiskey 2 Alpha Echo Whiskey, if you... Uh, uh, look him up on YouTube. It uh, um, he's he has quite a few videos out, so he should be fairly easy to find. He he also delves into other electronic related stuff, but he all he does quite a bit of stuff about oscilloscopes, and he has a dozen or so of them of various vintages, both new digital types and older analog types. 
Okay, well, obviously, you find and oscilloscopes fascinating. So answer me this. When did you acquire yours? What kind did you get? And about how much did you lay out for it? And what was your reason for picking one up? That's four questions, um, by the way, so I'm waiting for four answers. All right, I'll give you four answers. I got my oscilloscope, let's see here, back in December. I got, yeah, December, end of December. And it's a leader, as that's the uh, brand name. LBO Lima Bravo Oscar dash 508 Alpha. Uh, that's the uh, model number. It's a fairly simple oscilloscope. It's I I'd say it's a great beginner oscilloscope because it doesn't have too many knobs um, that you can you would get lost. It's a basic uh, 20 megahertz bandwidth oscilloscope. And I'd also like to make a quick note here: uh, the bandwidth of an oscilloscope means that it, the oscilloscope will di display a 20 megahertz signal without, like, as the frequency increases, the display actually, the volt, the voltage displayed on the display actually decreases slightly, like it gets a little smaller. So, what a 20 megahertz scope is, it means that that shrinkage, that lowering in amplitude of the displayed signal, will not be more than three decibels. And I, I see comments in the IRC channel, so I maybe want to move along here. But um, as for how much I paid for it, um, I, I got it on eBay. I paid uh, $54 for this one. It was quite a good deal. And it cost me $57 shipping. So <laughs> I ended up paying more in shipping than I did for the actual oscilloscope. Where did it come from, Bangladesh? Uh, no, it didn't. It came from... The Midwest, the Upper Midwest, and you said you had a fourth question. I think I only answered three there. So. I think you only answered yes. You only answered three. The last one was what was the purpose behind what what use did you see in buying an oscilloscope? Why did you want one? Okay, this is going to sound totally weird, but because I thought it looked cool, I also was in in a sense looking for piece of test equipment so that I could have something around uh, because. After watching a few few of the YouTube videos from the W2AW, I saw that it had a, quite a few uses, and it was a fairly a diverse tool in what it can be used for. And I went on eBay one evening, saw this within my relative price range, and I got it. So it was uh, YouTube videos and just a desire for a piece of test equipment and a desire for a piece of test equipment that looked really cool. I know you've used it in practical ways. You've actually uh, tuned your IC735, and I think you actually used it to fix something, did you not? Yes, uh, my IC735, I needed to make a small adjustment in it, and I used the oscilloscope because it would display the RF envelope, as it were, that was uh, at around 36 megahertz, where a digital multimeter wouldn't necessarily work at such a high a frequency, and an analog multimeter would add too much load to the circuit. The uh, oscilloscope doesn't load the circuit too much. It doesn't draw any current from the circuit, or any current that it does draw is quite minimal. When you probe something with an oscilloscope, you're seeing the voltage. You're not actually really drawing any current from the device that you're putting under test. It's also handy in that sense where you need something that can display either very fine uh, voltages or something that you can't 
draw current from because if you draw current from it it'll cause like in the sense of a voltage controlled oscillator the resistance in the circuit stays the same but because you're drawing current it drops the voltage which can cause frequency shifting etc etc it's it's uh, good for that type of application all right. Well, Ted in the chat room wants you to use your oscilloscope to do a two-tone test to check your rig's linearity. So when are you going to do that? Uh, when I discover what a two-tone test is. Ah, I yes. think I've heard of. I think I've heard of it before. It's using two audio tones imposed on a radio carrier, but I could be wrong about that. Okay. Well, since I've completely derailed your math talk, um, <laughs> do you want to go back to that, or have you pretty much covered anything you wanted to talk uh, about? I've pretty much covered everything about math. Also as a note, the oscilloscope will display the full waveform so it'll display the peak-to-peak -peak voltage as opposed to the RMS or root mean square voltage which is 0.707 times the peak-to-peak -peak voltage if memory serves right. See once again you've thrown out some terminology there and people's heads have exploded. Do you want to talk about root mean squares or do you just want to leave that out there for people to try to figure out on their own? Um. I'll, I'll leave it out there because I, I understand it to a point, but I don't think I understand it enough to speak on it. Okay, so in other words, this entire talk has been given by someone who's supremely unqualified for the talk you just gave. I suppose if you wanted to say that, you could. <laughs> uh, well, you don't have to agree with me, but you kind of did. I mean, I what I'm referring... I'm just digging myself a hole here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm digging the hole. I'm just waiting for you to fall in it. Oh. <laughs> well... I'll do my best at RMS then. RMS mean is the effective voltage, uh, in the sense that your AC outlet has 170 volts peak to peak voltage, but the actual peak doesn't, because just the way the AC signal works, it doesn't provide a lot of push. So the RMS voltage is the effective voltage. So when you plug something in, the, in a sense, if you were to cut the peaks off and just use what really pushes the current, because the peak is the reversal of current, so it kind of stands still for a second, or a microsecond there, and then starts pushing again. So um, if you take off the part that kind of reverses, you get the effective current, or the root mean squared current. I don't know all the math terminology for it, but that's the basics of a root means, what root mean squares. All right, so would you encourage everyone to go out and buy a $50 oscilloscope and play with it? If you have the money for it, sure. It's a great investment. It's it's handy to have around if you ever have a problem in your shack. Um, one thing to note, though, don't try to measure current with it. It just won't work. It'll blow up on you. Unless, of course, you want it to blow up, then it might be spectacular. Well, if you actually want to measure current, you can just use a regular voltmeter that does current. You yeah, don't, exactly. You don't, you don't need anything quite as fancy as an oscilloscope. Now, in the chat room, uh, there was a question about the fact, or the, there was a question about has anyone used the X application XOscope to do anything useful? To be honest, I can say no, because up until that question was asked, I didn't know there was an application called XOscope, but I just did an app-get install of it and found out that it is a great X application that provides an eight-channel oscilloscope in software, what I don't know about it is what kind of input device you need in order to get the data from your device into the oscilloscope to actually read the output. 
I should probably leave that for the next show so I can figure out what exactly you have to have uh, in order to hook your probes to and, and all of that so you actually get some data into this thing. Uh, but if you're looking for a software-based graphical user interface oscilloscope in software, Xoscope may be the thing for you. And I'm sure in the documentation somewhere it says what kind of hardware you need for it to work. I haven't gone that far. I'm not to get installed. So anyway, another another piece of oscilloscope information for 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 those of us who are still listening, uh, for those whose blood is not leaking from their ears and all of that kind of thing. So uh, with was that, it really that bad. <laughs> well, I don't know. That remains to be seen in feedback. Uh, oh, okay. Speaking of which, sorry, Bill. I, I I apologize right now for the hate mail. Well, we we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe oh. it's all good. And speaking of feedback, we have some of our own, which we'll be discussing after the break. I've got some more Jonathan Colton to play. We're both going to mute our mics and sit quietly for about three and a half minutes. And when we come back on the other side, I'm going to talk about what people are saying about us. you think I've been doing wrong I'm too high to hear what you say maybe write a letter if it takes too long I won't come down today I found a pretty girl who loves me true I don't ask why she won't say I'm about ten miles over you I won't come down today I just Jonathan for filling in a gap in the music that would otherwise have caused us to have some dead air but I can always trust Joko to help us out that song was called down today by the way it's off his latest album called artificial heart which I recommend everybody go out and get if they haven't done so already you can find it on iTunes at jonathancolton.com and all kinds of stuff like that there well the first thing I have to do when I open up segment three here is talk about all the donations we've received 
to our fund to head out to the Dayton Hamvention this year. Now, the Hamvention is in Dayton, Ohio, of course, from May 17th through the 19th. The way things are progressing, it looks like I will certainly be there. I'm not sure who else is going to be there with me at Linux in the Hamshack booth, but we're already well on our way to our, our target projection for donations to uh, purchase the booth space and all of that good stuff. And I'd like to recognize those people who have uh, given us money toward that end. We have uh, Paul G., who has donated twice in the last couple of months and also become a yearly subscriber. Uh, we have Ron E., who is signed up as a yearly subscriber to the show. We have Jeremy H., who has signed up as a monthly subscriber. We have Scott P., who has signed up as a monthly subscriber, along with Bill A. and Bill H. and Gary U. And uh, Bill H. has also sent in a side donation as well. We have John K., who became a yearly subscriber to Linux in the Hamshack. And we also have a donation uh, very recently from Jerome S. Harrison, uh, I know you've donated to the show, and uh, you're also a subscriber, so I, I won't forget to acknowledge that you have donated to us as well and uh thank you very much for that thank you to everybody who has sent us in a donation we are about two-thirds of our way two-thirds of the way to our goal and uh we do have a couple more months although i will say that the sooner we get the donations in the faster i can reserve our booth space and the cheaper it is ultimately for me to get that booth space so you know, this is not a, you know, twist your arm kind of thing, but uh, if you would like to become a subscriber, you will get access to our Etherpad, you'll get access to our screencasts, you'll get access to hidden content, unedited content, and in the future, you'll be automatically entered for contests for uh, swag and other great items that uh, we haven't even thought of yet. I heard your mic kick on like you wanted to say something. Um, no, uh, well, just thank you for the acknowledgement. Uh, I did uh, send that in a while ago, so I imagine it was on a previous podcast that I was mentioned, I suppose. Yeah, probably so, but it, uh, can't hurt to mention again. And you've also, uh, been gracious enough to fill in tonight as a, as a guest host. So, uh, thank you for that as well. On the last episode, we had several people send in a uh, hundredth anniversary, hundredth episode anniversary little voicemails to, uh, you know, sort of pump up our egos and all of that. And we got one from Claudio today, I think. I think it came in today. Now I'm going to go have, I'm going to have to download it. So let me go ahead and find that. And while I'm finding that, would you like me to read the other one? Yeah, go <laughs> ahead. Um, you can, you can do the next one there if you want while I'm trying to find this, uh, this little bit of email. And I don't even have my email client open. What the hell's wrong with me? Oh, it's just that type of night. Russ, don't worry. Yeah, it is that kind oh, of. We night. need we need Richard right here just to say he broke it because it just sounds appropriate to me right now. Oh, you know what? I don't have that one, but I'm gonna have to find it. He's only said it about three thousand times. It shouldn't be that hard to find. <laughs> so yeah, so let's have a little right. bit. Let's have an interlude from Richard here. Let's do. Let's do this one. I think this is my favorite of the ones I have. Can't believe I did the freaking hand thing when I said that. <laughs> yeah, I still don't even remember what that means, but it's hilarious. So. Um, all right, go ahead and read that next bit all of right. feedback. 
Okay, the uh, this is a piece of website feedback from Gary, Kilo Echo 2, Yankee Kilo, and he says, uh, Thanks, Rich. It was a good intro into JT65. I have messed with it in the past, and you cleared up a few mysteries for me. Now, obviously, because I haven't really been paying attention to website stuff, do you know what this means for us? Uh, yes, um, let's see, KE2YK is a subscriber of the show, which means he act, has access to our screencasts out on the website, lhspodcast.info, and Richard did a screencast that was an introduction to set up, setting up and using the application for JT65 mode, uh, which is a fun is that little WSJT? mode. WSJT? Yes, it is uh, based on the WSJT suite of apps. It's along the lines of Whisper and stuff like that, but it's an actual communication mode. Um, it's a, it's a low speed communication mode via HF as opposed to Whisper, which is more of a beacon mode. Uh, and he does give a good tutorial. Richard gives a good tutorial there on the website and, uh, members of course have access to that. And that is what KE2YK is referring to, uh, that, that little screenshot tutorial and apparently uh, it did him some good, so uh, we're glad that worked out for you. It's another reason to become a member of the show or the right. podcast. Look at that. You're already shilling for us. Fantastic. You know what? I can't find this email. Where'd it go? I'll do the next one for you. Give you a little more time. Okay. Oh, here so it is. Next here it is. Oh, all right. I'll read this one while you get that queued up. So the next piece of website feedback is from Brian, Whiskey Bravo 4, Echo Sierra. And uh, I think he's reminiscing about episode 100. Uh, he states, uh, You'll be missed, Richard, but you got to do what you got to do. This was a great episode for number 100. And I have to say, it actually kind of turned out to be a great episode, Otherwise, other than me being accused of kind of snaking my way in, which I never intended to do, but oh, I yes, think you did. teasing going on. <laughs> We're always joking and stuff. And, you know, I'm sure you're thinking that uh, episode 100 was great in no small part because you were on it. Well, it, I was expect I had high expectations for episode number 100, and they passed my expectations. I, I actually thought episode was 100 was, uh, was rather enjoyable, other than the fact that it had no content whatsoever. But, you know, some, we can't be picky sometimes, I guess. I suppose not. But, hey, uh, my uh, comment came true. I... Uh, asked for included content, and we got content in this episode. So there you go. Again, in, in no small part because you actually provided some. I know. You, you, you're you so good at patting yourself oh, on the you, back. You, it's amazing you haven't broken I, your arm yet. <laughs> uh, well, you provided a nice philosophical debate at the beginning of the episode, and that was quite enjoyable for me because I enjoy debating in a sense. Well, I'm glad of that. Um, let me go back quickly before uh, I hit this this audio feedback from Claudio about our 100th episode. Um, there's some chat in the chat room about uh, Exoscope, which we mentioned before the break, and they're saying that it's it has a sound card interface, so basically you can use your sound card as, as the probe inputs for the oscilloscope. Uh, and apparently there is a, a module you can attach to your sound card so that you don't actually overdrive the inputs or... Uh, presumably send raw current into your soundboard, which would be bad. Or you can do direct line in if you so choose, if, if you wish to take that risk. And uh, according to Ted, it sounds like you can do two inputs, two inputs per sound card, maybe one per mic in, one per line in, something like that. 
and since the uh, since exoscope can handle up to eight channels you could presumably use up to four individual sound cards uh for those inputs that's that and um i've got this thing here but but harrison seems to have disappeared so let me see if i can call him and get get him back on what do we got here Hi. hello i'm i'm here you're here yeah, all I'm right here. sorry about that skype just Oh, look, I hung up on him. <laughs> That's never happened before, at least not since last episode. All right, let me try this again here. Okay, there right, we go. There's... Okay. All right, I had some random Sorry, buttons going on there, so I decided to push them, and one of them kicked you off. All right, um, well, we do have this uh, 100th episode voicemail from Claudio Miranda, who is co-host of the Linux in the Basement, Linux Basement, or Linux in the Basement, however you want to say it. Uh, podcast over there with Chad Wallenberg. Uh, he was kind enough to send this in, uh, two weeks late and we're more than happy to play it. So, so here's Claudio and I haven't heard this. So if there's something on here that is disrespectful or includes swearing or anything like that, I have no idea, but here it is. Hey, Russ and Richard, this is Claudio Miranda from Linux basement. No call sign. Sorry. Just wanted to congratulate you guys on 100 episodes. I hope you guys continue on making more and more going beyond 200, 300, and bringing us so many more. I'm sorry this one's coming in a little late, but, you know, when you're nominated for an Oscar and actually win, you know, it kind of takes up your time. But anyway, uh, Richard, I just heard on the episode 100 that uh, you're going to be leaving the show. I'm really, really sad to hear that, but I understand, and I hope, um, I hope everything you do goes really well, and... God willing, you'll be able to come back to Linux Hamshack and uh, continue recording with good old Russ over there. Anyway, guys, have a wonderful, wonderful, many more than 100 episodes. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. That well, was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty nice. Thanks, Claudio. And uh, I'm glad to hear that I'm, as always, second fiddle on this program. It is too bad that Richard had to leave, and, and I miss him already. And we're only about three-quarters of the way through one episode. That's the way things go. and. I have to carry on. All right. We also have to get that audio clip of him saying he broke it. Yes, I do have to do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to remind myself. You know, the problem is I always have to badger it because he doesn't say he broke it. He always says, hey, broke this Badger. And uh, I always have to badger that out or cut it out or, or something. So, which means I'm going to have yeah. to do it to myself now. But that's the way things go. All right. So do we have any more feedback here? I've already, I keep switching away from the etherpad and I don't know why. Oh, no, we do have to acknowledge uh, Brian's feedback, which you just read, though, from WB4ES, Whiskey Bravo 4 Echo Sierra, uh, about our 100th episode. Uh, thanks thanks very much, Brian, for writing in. And I got to say, you know, despite the fact that Richard decided to, to beg out on us, uh, the 100th episode was a lot of fun, and I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thanks very much for the feedback. And uh, with that, and I hope that Richard really enjoyed his cake that night. I, I kind of gather he did. You know, he was getting such grief about the fact that he was podcasting on his birthday. Uh, I think we got him out just in time before before he wound up, you know, sustaining any bodily injury. But uh, and the dog house. yeah, or or anything else. You know, he lives in a cardboard box, but the dog house is apparently even worse than that. That's without the cardboard box. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, so that's all the feedback we have. That's all the content we have. We're down to the bottom of the ether pad, so I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I'll let Harrison say any little bits he wants to say on the way out. Then I'm going to start the music, give my outro, and we're gone for episode 101. 
Well, this is Harrison, VE2HKW. If you uh, think that I really batched this episode up and uh, said something wrong, you can send me an email at uh, VE2HKW at gmail.com. Or if you're local, you can hit me up on one of the local repeaters in the Qu- English repeaters in the Quebec area. All right, Harrison. Well, thanks very much for being here and uh, filling in the uh, the gaping hole we have in Linux in the Ham Shack. It was enjoyable. I'm glad you're here. And uh, episode 102 will be somehow different and more exhilarating than this one. So uh, with that, I suppose I should start the outro music. And uh, there it is in the background. And uh, since Richard's not here to say anything, I guess it's all up to me. This is Russ, K5TUX, host of Linux in the Ham Shack. This has been episode number 101. If you want to get in contact with me, you can send an email to info at lhspodcast.info. Send us a donation if you uh, have a buck or two to spare to help get us to the Dayton Hamvention. You can leave us voice feedback at 1909LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. Become a subscriber. Sign up for the mailing list. Just get involved with Linux in the Hamshack. Become an ambassador if you can. We'd love to have you. You can go to a show for us. We'll even pay the freight and give you a t-shirt to let everyone know that you helped us out so uh oh and there's also merchandise you can buy some merchandise too lhspodcast.info is where you can find us we're at hash lhs podcast on the free node irc network people are in there all the time uh we're out there on all the social media networks just look for linux in the ham shack or black sparrow media more content coming up soon And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks for episode number 102. Thanks very much for listening. This is Russ, K5TUX, signing off from between the cold and slippery peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas. And uh, I hope we see you again next time around. Richard, oh Richard, wherefore art thou, Richard?